Hey folks, welcome to another episode of Health Shift, the podcast that bridges the gap between conventional modalities and ancient healing for complete mind, body, and spirit well-being. We want to help you make a shift. And please note that these discussions are not medical advice, nor should they be used in place of medical assessments. So let's get started. Today, I'd like to welcome Daniel Green. Daniel is a software development student from Dayton, Ohio, currently working in an internship for a software company. Daniel also volunteers with the National Alliance on Mental Illness as a support facilitator and is active in his community. Dan's journey began with his own struggles with bipolar illness. Through various medication trials, behavioral support and education, and finally desiring to get a handle on his weight, cholesterol, and stomach issues, he sought treatment with me in 2019. His process of transformation has been remarkable. So let's hear about his journey. I am so excited to have you here today, Dan. So welcome. Thank you. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. So tell us your story, how you got to where you are today. Um, well, I guess I, I mean, I had a pretty normal childhood. I guess I'll start from the kind of the beginning. I had a pretty normal childhood. I didn't have bipolar disorder as a teenager or as an adolescent or a kid. Uh, it first manifested when I was 19 years old in college at the start of my sophomore year in 2002, and I stopped sleeping. I started getting manic. I was drinking heavily at parties at college, and before I knew it, I was acting inappropriately in public at school, and I had to go home for the semester. And I met with a psychiatrist when I went home and they diagnosed me as mood disorder, not otherwise specified. Mm. And I think the reason they did that is because the bipolar diagnosis has such a stigma surrounding it that they didn't want to label me with that when they were still figuring out what was going on with me. And so then I, I kind of like went back to school the next semester and I got back on track. But then by the end of uh, my senior year, I was in a really bad depression for the first time in my life. And I was, I had joined a fraternity. I wasn't leaving the house, the fraternity house. I was drinking and just watching TV and playing video games. I wasn't going to class. And so I dropped out of school in 2006 with uh, only four classes to go. Mm. And so the, I was feeling very extreme uh, when I did that, you know, I wasn't, I didn't have a long-term perspective. I didn't understand the opportunity I was passing up. And so then for the next kind of like 10 years, I kind of wandered uh, not knowing what to do. Uh, and then I had another episode, a manic episode in 2006, where there was doc medical intervention, but I didn't get hospitalized. And then in 2007, after my sister's wedding, I got manic enough that the police got called. And I had to go to the hospital and I went mm -hmm. to the hospital for eight days here in Dayton, Ohio. And uh, they, they got me kind of stable, got me into an apartment, got me. And then I got back working and I was doing OK for a while. But I, my substance using started to pick up. And what started out as recreational and casual substance using became a way to self-medicate. And I got in 2006, I got an official bipolar diagnosis, actually at the Amen Clinic, uh, which does spectrographic brain scans out in California. Yes. And um, so I had the diagnosis. I still didn't know what I was doing. I was using substances heavily in 2008 and 2009 to self-medicate my bipolar symptoms of depression and mania. 
uh, I was using, started using harder drugs uh, and not just marijuana and alcohol. And uh, it led to a big blow up where I had the worst manic episode of my life. And that led me out to Arizona where I got arrested in Phoenix. And I, I made the international headlines because I went into an airport and stripped naked in the airport and a news crew caught it on film. Mm-hmm. So friends and family found out through the news about mm-hmm. what had happened to me, you know? Sure. And then I went to jail in Arizona because they don't have good mental health care in Arizona. They, they send you to the psych ward lockup at the jail. And so I had a really traumatic experience in jail in Arizona. And then I got out and my parents bailed me out and took me to a mental hospital in San Diego that my uncle Joe recommended, who's a mm-hmm. doctor in San Diego, who, you know, yes. and, um, and so they got me kind of stable. I got home, got unstable again, went to another mental hospital, went to a drug rehab for a few days. Didn't like that left. Cause I was still manic, got arrested again in this time in Ohio and then went to another mental hospital and um, I got out of there and uh, the third mental hospital stay got me stable mm. and they got me on a good med combo and they had me sign a behavior contract with my family. And so my parents, and then I was put on two years of probation. So I went to mental health court. I met with a probation officer. I went to groups. I met with a doctor. I learned to take medication regularly. And I was, after all that had happened, like I'd been humiliated and terrified. I really didn't want to have another manic episode and have that traumatic, those traumatic events happen again. So I was treatment compliant for about two years, but then I started getting depressed and, and I didn't have the tools to express to my doctor what was going on. So instead of talking to my doctor, I started smoking marijuana again Mm. to medicate. And I fell into such a bad depression from smoking marijuana heavily. Like I was using an absurd amount uh, that I became suicidal and Fortunately, someone who was living with me said, you need to go to Narcotics Anonymous. You need to get sober. And that clicked. And I I got sober in 2014. And I jumped in feet first and uh, really did all the, the recovery stuff you're supposed to do. And my mental health improved. And I got a job. And then I went back to school. And I finished my bachelor's degree after I had gotten a year sober. And, uh, like everything started to change for me. And, and then I was in this process, I got, um, health insurance and I was having GI problems and I, uh, got diagnosed with colon polyposis. They Mm -hmm. they did a colonoscopy and they found 23 polyps in my colon Wow! in 2012. So now I have to have a procedure every two years, two or three years for the rest of my life to remove polyps. Mm -hmm. And um, the other consequence of the mental health medicine that I was taking is for the first time in my life, I started gaining weight in 2010 and 2011. Mm -hmm. And then that continued when I got sober, I gained more weight because I wasn't using drugs to self-medicate. I started using food to self-medicate. Sure. So. So by about 2019, I'd had three colonoscopies and I was really concerned with the amount of polyps I was producing. And I was Mm -hmm. really concerned about my weight. So I asked my uncle Joe, what should I do? 
I don't know what to do about any of this. And he, that's when he recommended you in 2019. Yeah. And so I was, um, and let's see in 2019, I was 36 years old. I had never dieted once in my life. I had never tried to diet before mm-hmm. I was on psych meds. I never needed a diet. I could just exercise a little bit and lose, lose whatever weight I needed. Uh, cause I had a good metabolism, but the meds changed my, and my age changed my metabolism. So I started working with you in January of 2019, but my, my primary concerns wasn't the weight. It was the gastritis that I'd had mm-hmm. in, 20, in 2018 and the colon polyposis. And, um, I had also quit smoking in 2018. So I was like in this mode, I was getting into this mind frame of making changes in my life. Sure. And so we started working in uh, 2019 and, uh, you know, that was the first time I was really thinking about what kind of food I was eating. And that was the first time I started, I learned, you taught me how to look at a label, a nutrition facts label. Uh, and it started to change my habits. And um, I, I started losing weight too. That was the happy side effect of the improved diet, but that was never the goal. Uh, but I started losing, I was losing like 10 pounds a month. Mm-hmm. And so, so by August or September, I had lost like 80 or 90 pounds. And, uh, I was, I was stunned. My fit, my friends and family were shocked. Um, you know, I had completely changed my lifestyle basically. Mm-hmm. So like it, it, it improved my outlook, but you know, the thing about bipolar, is it's it's a lifelong illness and it's a chronic illness and so in uh the fall of 2019 like i wanted to go on less meds i wanted to try to live on less medication mm-hmm. and i actually listened to your podcast with uh james greenblatt i think yes yes and mm-hmm. uh, that was very interesting but i tried and i justified it to my doctor i said look i've lost all this weight i can manage on lower doses of my meds And what happened is I got unstable and I, my mood started cycling and I started getting depressive and suicidal ideation. Mm -hmm. And I had to go to the hospital for a stay in uh, October of 2019. Um, And then I got stable again. I, and I also, I entered school at the same time I started dieting with you. So Mm -hmm. the same time I was dieting with you, I was starting a, a degree in software development. Uh, at the local community college. And I, so then in 2020, uh, school's happening and then suddenly the pandemic hits and I'm working from home and I'm stuck at home. And I wanted to try to go on lower doses of my meds again. And so I did that and I got unstable. Mm. Uh, And the the stress of the pandemic also added to that. And I I was in a relationship that ended um, probably in july roughly and so the stress of all of that together with school kind of compounded and i had got manic um and uh, i went to the hospital in august for 18 days and the thing about that is the food there is so starchy at the in the psychiatric hospital that i gained 20 pounds i remember that i remember you were in touch with me yeah yeah Mm-hmm. So then I, I wasn't fully stable. I, I relapsed and ended up back in the hospital for about 10 or 12 days in September. And I finally got on a solid med combo. Um, 
and I've been stable ever since. But they put me on an injectable because they were thinking I wasn't med compliant. Mm-hmm. I wasn't really med compliant. I was more med resistant. Mm-hmm. And so they put me on an injectable and that made it really hard to wake up during the day and it made it really hard to function. Um, so eventually in January, I got switched to a pill form of the med and um, I've been sleeping better. I, sleep was a big problem. The first two years we worked together, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm sleeping like a normal person without a mental illness right now. And uh, I get up in time for work. I got an internship in August. Um, I finished my degree. I'm just taking a capstone internship class this semester to wrap it all up. And that'll be done December 8th. And so I've, I've got job prospects. Um, I've got good relationships with my family, really being in recovery and being sober, healed all the relationships with my family and also me doing some work and my friends as well. And so like, I, I'm not currently volunteering with NAMI, but I plan to get back into that when the internship is over. Sure. I took a little pause from facilitating support groups, but the, uh, like overall, from where I was in jail in Arizona in 2010, um, psychotic in psychosis, I was in psychosis and I was uh, that's where my mania goes. It goes into psychosis um, sure. from, from being in that place in 2010 um, to being employed and stable and sober, you know, and having good relationships with all my friends and family. Um, like my life's awesome now. I don't, I sound like a multi-level marketing uh, <laughs> advertiser. But like I and I, that, I'm not saying my life is without challenges either. I still struggle with depression, mm-hmm. still struggle with my mood sometimes, and the bipolar disorder, uh, and the, just the regular stuff everybody deals with. But uh, I'm, I have a lot of gratitude, and like, um, it's kind of amazing how much has changed in my life since 2010, and even since 2019 when I started working with you. Yeah, um, yeah, I've been through three hospitalizations and I've come out the other side in better shape than I was before they happened. Sure, sure. So, you know, I, I have to say, Dan, uh, and I've, I've said this to you so many times, but um, I am in such awe and so impressed with the work that you put in. And, you know, I, I offer to all of my clients, as you know, that they can send me their daily food records, their questions, their complaints, their whatevers. And you have been the one person that follows through. So, so tell me if you feel like that kind of connection is beneficial for you. Do you feel like that's something that helps you to stay on track? Uh, absolutely. I, I found it so helpful to be able to email you any nutrition label and ingredients list of anything I was thinking about buying or eating mm-hmm. and getting, getting feedback. It's amazing to be able to get feedback. Like you really go above and beyond for your clients and, uh, And I felt like with sending you my daily food journal uh, via email every day, I was accountable to another person. And it's like, so when I would think about eating something, I would say, oh, well, I have to share this with Julie. Do Mm -hmm. I really want to do I really want to do this? Because I know because I because after doing this with you long enough, I know what you're going to say. I have some idea what you're going to say. You're going to say, oh, that's very inflammatory. Or that's high glycemic index. 
you know, and so it's really helped me get my, um, my, uh, my eating under control. And I, I don't know that I was always an emotional eater necessarily, but when my mental illness really took hold Mm -hmm. and I was on meds starting back in 2010, 2011, my eating really did start to become more of a coping mechanism. Sure. You know, so doing this, like, so now when I have breakfast, I'm like, okay, order of operations, I need to have my, uh, my fruit, my protein, uh, some nuts and some vegetables. Mm-hmm. And, and I just, I just think like, even though I'm not sending you emails now, I just think, okay, this is, this is where it would go in the email. And yep. so it's, it's taught me to like, think about eating in a totally different way. Um, and yeah, I thought, you know, and really, cause like, I thought I was getting my money's worth by getting extra work out of you. You know what I mean? <laughs> so so I, I appreciate it. I really appreciate that you take the time to read through that and give feedback. Well, thank you. Thank you. Yeah. That was really critical because I'm sure you can remember early on in 2019, like in January and February, when I was eating things, all kinds of things that I thought were okay, sure, or, or even good or neutral. And you were like, Oh, no, that's not good. Oh, that's not good. This isn't good. And so but we gradually, by the process of me sending you my daily log, got through each food group, each food item, and got me from one one place to a totally different place mm-hmm. within within a few months you know? Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. And you know, the, the other, the other thing is that um, I, I know we also look very deeply at your medications and to look at any nutritional challenges that might come across with all of that. So as you know, I like to test and then suggest when it comes to supplementation, but it's so important, you know, especially when people are on medications that are going to affect blood sugar or are going to affect cholesterol and things of that nature you know, to really look at, okay, what's going on in your blood chemistry and are there things that we need to adjust diet and or supplement wise, you know, to kind of support that process. So, you know, you and your physicians have also been really good. And and for me, being able to collaborate with the medical team is absolutely critical. You know, you can't be a silo out there. I, I can't be the only practitioner who's supporting my patient. I really need to have a physician on board. Um, which is certainly one reason why I love working with your uncle. So that's, uh, that's another thing. Yes. Yeah. My family doctor has been good about ordering all the labs that I requested. And amazingly, my insurance has paid for all of them. Hey, that's even better. That's great. We're two for two in that department. I don't know about my psychiatrist. They can be harder to get in touch with, but um, I've, I've learned for myself, at least in the terms of the bipolar, I'm just one of those people that needs to be on significant doses of medication to manage mm-hmm. the condition, even with all other factors being well-controlled. Sure, like sure. Substance, substance input, sleep, exercise, supplements, I still need that uh, level of protection that uh, psychiatric medication afford. Yeah, um, and you know, good for you for knowing that because um, I am not anti-medication at all. You know, if yeah. people can lower their doses of meds, great. If not, um, but you know, the, the importance of nutrition and exercise and all of that also supports the medications working properly. You know, because a lot of these mm-hmm. are to stabilize, you know, serotonin and GABA and all of that in the brain. 
<clears throat> so your nutrition is actually going to be the, you know, the, uh, the, the byproducts that are going to help to support the brain, the brain chemistry with your medications. So, right. Yeah. 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 And I, uh, I've noticed I did the cleanse with you, the six week program mm-hmm. where I kind of re, uh, recommitted to my diet, my healthy diet and, uh, tracked inflammation and anxiety and all these different, um, symptoms and factors. And I, I have found, um, that dropping the gluten and dropping the dairy has really had a, a positive effect mm-hmm. on my, on my anxiety uh, my skin is clearer, which is maybe a little bit underrated factor, but like, I'm not having acne like I normally do. Um, mm-hmm. and my, uh, sleep has been good. I'm not waking up as much. I think I, I honestly, I will probably start having some dairy here and there, but I'm going to try to stay away from the bread as much as possible. Sure. Uh, because I think that's really beneficial. And I've, that's the other thing. I've lost 15 pounds in the, uh, in the six weeks. So that well, you've been my star like, pupil. Oh, thank you. <laughs> um, and what's interesting is everybody in this group uh, came in with um, significant anxiety. I mean, I would have to say that that's probably an area that I see more often than not. Um, but one thing I want to actually just go back to that I think was, is so key is that, your goal was not directly about weight loss. Your goal was about your total health and well-being. Mm-hmm. And that is so critical for people to understand. This is not about a diet to lose weight. This is a diet for me to be functional, you know, for the rest of my life, to feel right. good in my skin, to be able to be um, able to, you know, stand, sit, walk and talk and do all of those things as we get older, because we certainly are living older. That's for sure. Right. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I wanted to deal with the gastritis and the colon polyposis and I knew nothing about dieting and had no idea that like, it wasn't about just eating certain things at certain times. It's a holistic approach to health really. Yes. Yes. So, yeah. Yeah. That's, that's absolutely wonderful. And I also know that you live in an area where there's not a lot of healthy food available, but you have been so creative. So tell me a little bit about how you have faced the challenges of not always having um, fresh food or healthy food available. Well, I, uh, one thing I've done and I'll plug for my, I guess he's my friend, Dan Belrichard, the uh, owner of Sogo snacks. Uh, Yes. I buy Sogo snacks, the, the dehydrated beef sticks. Mm -hmm. And uh, I'll have, I'll take those with me where if I'm going somewhere and have those as a snack. So I don't buy something from a vending machine or stop at a fast food place. And like, I try to plot out and I learned this uh, being a cigarette smoker, but when you're a cigarette, ironically enough, <laughs> it's maybe the one good thing about cigarette smoking uh, of all the negatives, but I would always be thinking, where can I smoke my next cigarette? Mm. Where, where am I going to be able to get a cigarette in? Uh, and I'd always be plotting that out. Now I'm, now I think about my food in those terms, like where, mm-hmm. Where, when am I going to be hungry again? If I go out for six hours, where am I going to eat? You know, cause I know like if I go to the, the neighboring more rural town near me yeah. mm-hmm. and I'm, I'm hungry, I know there's no good food options there. Mm-hmm. They have, they have like a subway and a bunch of fast food restaurants. Sure. And so I'm sorry, I didn't mean to name check anybody, but, uh, 
but uh you know i don't so so i take the sogo snacks with me sometimes i take an apple with me because those keep well and don't need to be refrigerated mm-hmm. um and like when i was going to school and work and doing the diet in 2019 i would bring like a full meal with me mm-hmm. uh in my backpack and i would eat it over the course of six hours and i would just keep i would just eat you know so I don't, I'm not big on the intermittent fasting. Anyway, what was your question? Oh, it was more about how you, how you've managed these challenges. Like you've even found a great restaurant, um, your way that you can actually get more low glycemic options. It doesn't mean that it's no carb. Cause as you know, I'm not a no carb person, but trying mm-hmm. to keep those, you know, nasty carbs, the sugars and the refined carbohydrates lower, um, is definitely beneficial, but you've actually gone the extra mile to find places. So I think that's yeah. really important. There, there are healthier options out there and some places will work with you. If you order special, like if I go to a Thai restaurant, I always order the brown rice mm-hmm. as a side, this one place it's weird. They never have brown rice, but they have purple rice. Mm-hmm. So I figure it's not white rice. It must be a little <laughs> bit better, you know, uh-huh. but, but it's really, it is really hard to eat out healthy here in Ohio. And, uh, most places are so dairy and bread and fried food heavy. Sure. Like if I, I go after one of my NA meetings, we would go to this pub slash restaurant and um, everything there is fried except mm-hmm. for their salad. So what I would do is I would order a salad and a hard boiled egg and maybe just have a couple pieces of pizza mm-hmm. to, to compromise. So I would get to taste the pizza, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't eat half of a pizza. Sure, sure. What I used to do. I would have like 10 wings and half of a pizza. So now I'll have like three pieces of pizza and a salad with a hard-boiled egg. Mm-hmm. And and it's not a great salad. It's mostly just iceberg lettuce, but it's, it's um, filling enough to get me through that time in the restaurant. So I'm not tempted to uh, to order something bad that would be bad. That would be against my goals. Sure. Sure. So, but some, some restaurants there, there's, you know, salad is kind of the only safe option. Sure. Sure. Um, yeah. Yeah. So Dan, so tell us what, what three tips do you have to offer our audience in terms of um, supportive advice? Um, don't, the first thing I would suggest is don't change too much. Don't try to change too much at the same time. Mm. Like don't quit smoking cigarettes and start a new diet at the same time. Mm-hmm. You know, like we tell people uh, in the first year of recovery uh, in NA, and I think they also do this in AA, we say don't make any major life changes or decisions in the first year mm-hmm. of sobriety. So like if you're quitting smoking, let that be the thing you're doing mm-hmm. until you're well clear of that and feel good about it, you know? So that'd be the first thing. Don't overload yourself. Uh, Cause I'm one, I'm tend to overload myself. Um, I, I'm with you on that one. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the second thing um, I would say is uh, give yourself some grace be mm-hmm. kind to yourself. If you have a setback, don't beat yourself up. Just use it as an opportunity to learn something 
about what to do differently next time. So I, uh, so when I had setbacks in the diet or the healthy eating, I still sent those emails to Julie with the, with the stuff in there and I didn't beat myself up. I was just like, look, I ate this. This is what happened. And I was kind to myself and gentle with myself. And uh, that allowed me to keep moving forward. Yes. Um, Yes. And I really, I really appreciate that. I'm just going to interject one thing because one of the uh, terms that I use, and we talked about this in the group is being the outside observer. So rather than beating yourself up, what did that experience feel like the next day? And oftentimes you would say to me, you know what? I felt more tired. I didn't get a great sleep. I'm kind of in a bad mood today. So being able to attach that awareness to it is so helpful without beating yourself up. So that's great. And how about a third tip? Um, the third tip I would give, well, I would, I want to give four tips, but Go so for it. Give four. But sure. the, third, the third tip I would give is find a coping skill. Find a coping skill that helps you deal with whatever you're dealing with in an effective way. So for me, the coping skills are tapping, EFT Mm -hmm. tapping, Mm -hmm. which is like tapping on the meridians and, Mm -hmm. uh, and the lymph nodes. And um, I find that helpful. I find meditation very helpful. Mm. And it kind of ties in with what you said about the observer being the outside observer on your own self. Sure. Uh, Meditation teaches you to observe your thoughts and feelings non-judgmentally. It's not about emptying your mind. It's not about clearing your mind and controlling your thoughts and feelings. It's about just letting the flow happen and, and just riding with it and uh, noticing it. Um, and so I, th- I also use a therapy light, which mm-hmm. is kind of like a coping skill. I used it for the first time this season. Yes. Now that the time changes happened and I felt a little down today. So use the therapy light. Um, so yeah, find a coping skill. That would be the third tip. Mm-hmm. And the fourth, the fourth tip I would suggest is find support. Mm. So find someone, at least one person who can support you in whatever change you're trying to make. Like for this diet journey, uh, Julie has been amazing support. Um, for my um, mental health and addiction recovery, there are people I've met through NAMI mm-hmm. and NA who have been fantastic support for me in that area. And then just in life, I'm really lucky. I feel really lucky. Uh, I have a few friends who support me, but also challenge me and hold me accountable. Awesome. To be better, you know, like uh, I had my friend uh, Trevor challenge he went and did the software development program at the school before I did and he challenged me to do something constructive and so I did um and I don't know without his prompting and the prompting for my grandfather I don't know that I would have done that so um so those would be my four tips awesome great great tips um it has been so amazing and an honor to have you on here today and I just thank you for sharing your journey and your wisdom and your message of hope for so many people. And if you like this podcast, please rate, review, and share with your friends, family, and coworkers. I'm on a mission to change the current paradigm of healthcare and mental health care. And you can find me at juliefreeman.net, on Instagram at juliefreemanmindfulwellness, and on YouTube, Julie Freeman Functional Medicine La Jolla. Until next time.